It is a joy to welcome Pastor Jim Wood. And it's, the reason it's a joy is he's one of my favorite guest preachers that we have here. One of the reasons why he's one of my favorite guest preachers is that he preaches such an engaging message. But the second reason is his heart. You can see something of the heart that the Lord has given him when he preaches. So a little bit more about Jim. Jim Wood is the founder of Wares Valley Ranch. He grew up in Montreat, North Carolina, and began preaching at the age of 15. He and his wife Susan engaged in ministry in Mississippi before moving to New England to attend Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. After pastoring in New England for five years, Jim was called as a senior pastor of Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Sandy Springs, Georgia, where he served for six years. In 1991, Jim, Susan, and their three sons left Mount Vernon to fulfill a vision for which they had prayed for over 20 years. In the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, they established Wears Valley Ranch to provide Christian homes, education, and counseling for children from different family situations. The ranch offers two homes for boys, two homes for girls, a counseling center, and a fully accredited K-12 school. The innovative tutoring model of education, which they pioneered, has become a model for other ministries across the U.S. and around the world. There's also a summer camp and a conference facility serving hundreds of visitors and volunteers each year. From its founding, the ranch is operated debt-free and without government funds, relying on God's miraculous provision and demonstrating the power of God through answered prayer. Having served as executive director of Wares Valley Ranch for nearly 30 years, Jim retired from this capacity in December 2020. He remains as the ranch's founder, continuing his ministry of teaching and preaching at the ranch on radio and elsewhere, and ministering to the ranch's donors and friends. Let's give a warm apostles welcome to Pastor Jim Wood. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you, folks, so much. We are deeply grateful for the relationship that we have had with apostles from the start. We were already uh, connected with you all before we began the ranch, and you folks have stood with us and knelt with us across all the decades. So thank you so much for your partnership, your support. We love you, and uh, we're counting on you to keep praying for us. I still pray for you all at least once a week. Uh, Michael and I have been prayer partners since 1986, and um, so I, I, I like to look around and say, see, God answers prayer. But um, we're thankful. I want to read this morning from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. I'm reading from the New International Version, and this is God's Word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it 
because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Less than three weeks ago, living or renting at Champlain Towers South in Surfside, Florida, was a dream come true. It was a beautiful beachside complex with wonderful views and enjoyable amenities. But on June 23rd, those who were enjoying the dream were swept into a nightmare. Around 1.15 a.m., everything changed. And it took about 15 seconds for the entire collapse to turn the beauty into a pancaked rubble of death and destruction. Weeks later, crews are still combing through the debris, searching for bodies and for answers regarding the causes of this tragedy. The collapse was sudden. The causes were not. Jesus tells us that sooner or later, all of us will face a crisis. All of us will face a storm. All of us will face a raging torrent. And when a building collapses, Jesus says the destruction is complete. There are only two alternatives, according to Jesus. Two alternatives for each of us. Either our lives will survive the storm or will be completely destroyed. The storms will come for all of us. You can't say, well, man, I'm not going to Florida. Everybody has to face the storms. But what will the storm reveal about how our lives were built? You and I know that the foundation of a building is absolutely essential. It's not one of the things you can negotiate. Well, you know, do we really have to do that? Nobody's going to see that. Well, yeah, in fact, that's one of the things we need to keep in mind. Doing it right is costly. Failing to do it right is far more costly. But most people, according to Jesus, take the easy way, take the cheap way, more concerned about appearances, more concerned about the acceptance of others, more concerned about short-term gain. Jesus said in Matthew 7, most people are on a road that leads to destruction. Few 
take the narrow road that leads to life. That's not some bigoted, self-righteous, pharisaical statement on my part. That's what Jesus says. Every now and then I encounter people who want to tell me they are just red-letter Christians. Okay? I just want to go with what Jesus says. And I'm saying, okay, go with what Jesus says. Would you read the red letters, please? <laughs> Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Because it's real. And it's hot. <laughs> Smartest thing my mother-in-law ever said. Living down in Houston, Texas. My father-in-law, both of them now in heaven we trust, but my father-in-law came in from mowing the yard in the heat of summer. And I don't know how many of you have been in Houston in the heat of summer, but I'm glad you survived. <laughs> he came in from mowing in the yard on one of those days when the temperature was near 100 and the humidity was definitely 100. He said, it's hot as hell out there. And she said, don't count on it. <laughs> yes! Way to go, Dorothy. Most people, according to Jesus, are on the road that leads to destruction. That is tragic. That's not something we gloat about. That's something we should weep about. But you see, for the most part, the foundation does not show. You've got to pour all this money into the ground and then cover it up with a building. You know what? That which is truly foundational to who you are, that which is truly foundational to whether Jesus really is Lord of your life is largely a matter of what you do that is unseen. What you do when nobody's looking. What you do when you don't have an audience. That is what's foundational. That's the real stuff. It's not the stuff that's above ground that everybody can see. One of the heartbreaks of Christendom is when some celebrity preacher falls. When someone with a great reputation turns out to have lived a double life. I grew up as a preacher's kid. My dad had integrity, thank God. But being a preacher's kid, I learned the importance of appearances. It's not enough to do the right thing. You've got to do the thing that looks right, okay? And I'm, I'm sorry, but it's kind of built into my DNA to want to look right, like I'm doing the right thing. If I've been reading the Bible for half an hour, and then just before my wife starts down the stairs, I check my email on my phone. When I hear her footsteps on the stairs, I want to put my phone down, pick my, pick my Bible back up. 
You know, now God knows that I was reading my Bible, <clears throat> but I want her to continue to think of me as the spiritual giant that I am. <laughs> now, sometimes this leads to my OCD personality showing up in weird ways around strangers. You see, I, I now have, at my cardiologist's insistence, a, a watch that monitors my heart. I'm doing fine. Thanks very much. But one of the things that it's helped me with is being mindful of walking. I'm supposed to, I, when I started with this, I was walking about two to 3,000 steps a day. That's not very good. That's a pretty sedentary life. Not smart. So I said, what's the goal? What should I be doing? And they said, 10,000 steps a day. Couldn't I just put this on the dog? <laughs> now, my, my doctor doesn't know how many steps I walk. This thing isn't linked up to his account or anything. Uh, nobody except God and me know how many steps I walk in a day. But now that I'm watching my watch, I... Um, I get very frustrated when I realize that I've been going around Costco like this, okay? Because you can take steps like this all day long and it won't count. And so when I realize I've been doing that, you know what I do? Okay? Because I want to get credit. It's like, how long was I walking with my arm on the cart? I got to do this until I've made up for it. That's crazy. Okay. So if you see me somewhere doing that, you know what I'm doing. But, but there's, there's a part of me, I, wanna, I want my watch to know I did well today. Sad. They pro he, bless your heart, thank you. They, they, uh, Michael may not have me back if he hears about that. You know, it's like, I knew Jim was getting older, but. Um, what you do when no one is looking, that's what's really foundational in your life. That's the real you. It's not what you do when other people see. It's not, it's not how I do in the pulpit. Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. What are you doing when nobody else is around? What are you doing when no one else is keeping track? What are you really building your life on? I'll give you some scriptures. Luke chapter 8, just over a couple of pages. Verse 17. 
Jesus said, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Luke 12, just a few more pages over. Verses 2 and 3. Jesus said, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. In Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 18, three times Jesus says, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 of John 14, Whoever hears my commandments, or whoever has my commandments and keeps them, is the one who loves me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus said in the text we read this morning, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And that is the context for his telling us about buildings that collapse. John 14, 23, John 15, 10, 1 John 2, 3, and 5, 3, 2 John 1, 6. The message over and over and over and over. It's not enough to know what's right. We have to do it. I wrote a book some years back with the generous help of my wife. She transcribes what I say and edits it so that it fits and is readable. And then she puts my name on the front of the book and it looks like I'm an author. I did a book on marriage, When Two Become One. I highly recommend it. When I give it to people who I'm counseling, premarital or marital counseling, I give them the book because I say every good thing that I have to say is pretty much in here. On the back, I point out to them one of the endorsements is from a friend who talks about the fact that Having been to a lot of seminars and read a lot of books, what she likes about my book is that it really works. I thought that was a great endorsement. Put it on the cover. A few years later, she got a divorce. (laughs) She remarried. Shouldn't have got a divorce. She remarried. Shouldn't have. Got a divorce. Well, so, uh, I guess, I mean, I don't know why you told us that. That's not a very good plug for your book because, I mean, you know, she said it works, but clearly it doesn't. Yes, it does. But you have to do it. You have to do it. If I wrote a book on how to look 
like an Olympic athlete. Everything in the book might be true, but I would not be a good ad. I don't look like an Olympic athlete. I've never looked like an Olympic athlete because I don't do what it takes to be an Olympic athlete. Jesus says there are two kinds of people who hear his words. One puts it into practice, and that person will survive the storm. The other does not put it into practice, and that person will be completely destroyed. But wait a minute. I, I listened to what you said. You don't know how many sermons I took notes. Well, good. So now what you going to do with what you learned? Well, I'm thinking about it. The collapse in Surfside, Florida, apparently was tied to a string of warnings that were not heeded. Repeatedly, the residents were told, the engineers have found that we have a serious problem, and in order to fix it, it's going to cost a lot of money. Well, that wasn't in my budget. Not sure I want to do that. How much is it going to cost? How much is my share? Can we get financing? The more they debated and talked and waited, the more the costs went up because the problems increased exponentially. The longer you don't deal with it, the worse it gets. Suppose you've got a cancer and you decide just to see how it goes, okay? I don't know that I want to have to have surgery. I think I'll wait a year. And maybe in a year you won't need surgery because you'll be dead. I mean, what are we thinking when it comes to God's commands? God says, do this and live. Well, I don't know. Folks, as we continue to follow Christ, his Holy Spirit reveals things in our lives that need to change. The pastoral letters in the New Testament are written addressing problems. It may be a drift into legalism like it was in Galatia. It may be into false spirituality and carnality or fleshly living the way it was with the Corinthians. But all the churches were not just being loved on, they were being loved on with correction. In Hebrews 2, believers are warned, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we neglect or ignore such a great salvation? In chapter 3 of Hebrews, Verse 12 and following. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. 
today. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. A Christian is not someone who never sins. A Christian is someone who has received the gift of new life in Christ and is not only forgiven, but is being transformed from the inside out that we might walk in holiness before him. That's what God calls us to. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not just to forgive them. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, God says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Pastor, I think that's a high standard. I didn't write that. I just wrote it down, copying it out of my Bible. And my Bible, that's God's Word. God says that to us. Five of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation call the churches to repent. The word repent is extremely unpopular in American churches. You can go, I mean, you might hear it here from time to time. But you can go to a whole lot of churches all across America and you won't hear that word. It's not popular, especially in a big church, okay? Because if you want to market this thing, you know, you got to do it right. You got to know what people want to hear and you got to give them what they want to hear. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you don't, you're going to alienate them. I'm concerned about where you're going to be in 100 years. Because I'll guarantee you this, wherever you are in a hundred years is where you're going to be in a million years. So keeping you happy is not my concern. The word repent is the first word of the message that Jesus and his disciples proclaimed when they went out preaching. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, let me tell you, some of the things you're saying are really offensive. I just, I have to be honest. I mean, I don't think everybody's going to tell you this because you do those amazing works, but but I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to look out for you. You could end up, you could end up being killed. Well, I'd be right if I said that. He did end up nailed to a cross. The people who especially hated his message were the self-righteous who thought they were pretty good. And God was blessed to have them on his team. 
And Jesus acted as if they needed to repent. Oh, the nerve. Let me tell you something. The word repent is a message of hope. The word repent says you don't have to keep going on the road that leads to destruction. Turn around. You can change. You are not stuck and having to just keep on doing that which is destroying you. Repent. Repent. While you have the opportunity, repent. It's a message of hope. When my doctor told me I ought to have heart surgery back in 2016, he said, well, we don't have to do it right now, but um, I would like to uh, do this within the next six months. I said, now, please. Okay? It wasn't like, well, let me see if I can work that in. Let me, you know. No, I'm willing to drop everything if I need heart surgery. Well, that was in 2016. I told my wife, now, if they want to do it again, not so sure. Well, let me just ask you, how important is it to you to be right with God? How much does that matter? Nothing else matters compared to that. There's not anything that's up there, well, you know, I have to balance this. No, you don't. Everything else is temporary. Your relationship with him is forever. The one thing that matters, the one thing that matters is that which is going to last forever. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Reports from Florida say that warnings were not heeded because maintenance and repairs seem too costly. Have you been ignoring God's warnings? Does the cost of obedience seem too great? The cost of delay and disobedience is greater. Repent now while you have the opportunity. When Hurricane Andrew hit Homestead, Florida in 1992, I don't know if anybody remembers that, but I have a son named Andrew, so it caught my attention. Some people lost their lives. Many lost their homes and belongings. According to a 2017 article in the Sun Sentinel, in the Miami-Dade area, when Andrew hit, 28,000 homes were destroyed and more than 100,000 were damaged and about 180,000 people were left homeless. But the story that intrigued me back then was the story of a man whose house survived the storm. Every other house in the neighborhood was totally destroyed. This guy's house was still standing after Hurricane Andrew. And so the news was eager to interview him, and they asked him, you know, what did you do? He said, well, I had never built before. I'm not an experienced builder, but I was building my own house, and so I just got a copy of the building code and did what it said. (laughs) 
wow. Let me tell you something. After that storm, legislators and all kinds of folks said, we need tougher building codes. We, we need to tighten up on this thing. We need to have tougher standards. Well, tough standards are great, but this book is wonderful. It really works if you do it. It wasn't a problem with the building standards so much as a problem with people not following the building standards. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and following, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I command? If Jesus is your Lord, obey. If you have not yet received Jesus as your Lord, I plead with you, while you have this moment, cry out to him for mercy. Ask him to forgive you. He came to save, not to condemn. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. While you have this moment, right where you are, Ask him to have mercy on you. Ask him to save you. He will. I know. He keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of proclaiming your word. But I pray, Lord God, that you would grant that we would not just say, yes, that is true, but that we would do what you say. Please, Lord God, have mercy upon us. Change us from the inside out, and may we walk in holiness even when no one but you will know. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Israel was called to celebrate.